Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Like I said before, it is another exciting Sunday at St. John's. And really, it's an exciting start to fall as once again, we start our annual church-wide push as a congregation to join a life group and do a simultaneous study as one body of Christ. Now this year, we're doing the Bean Challenge, which is a follow-up to the Red Letter Challenge that we did previously, Notice the Red. The goal of this study and the sermon series is to instill an understanding and a desire to develop keystone habits of faith. Now we are not going to present to you some newfound habit or some new way of following Jesus. Really, we're going back to the foundation, taking a look at what was done in the beginning, what Christ himself did and what he instructed the apostles and the church after to be about. We're going to look at community, scripture, prayer, solitude, worship. And like I said, you may hear those and think, I know all that already. How are you going to spice that up? How are you going to make me want to do that? Friends, sometimes it is the most basic of habits that require the most frequent reminders, that require a constant going back to, that when centered and done correctly, transform both the new Christian and the longtime follower of Jesus. For this is the journey. These are the same habits that have been modeled for us by that great cloud of witnesses. I think about Nehemiah and Ezra, who after so much time spent in captivity, brought the people back to establish the community of the people of God and return to the way of following God. Jeremiah and Isaiah, who preached the word of God, called on the people to hear who God was and the promised coming of the Messiah. Christ Jesus, who modeled each and every one of these habits that we will look at, the disciples and the woman, women who took up what was modeled and fulfilled that great commission and that calling they were giving calling, baptizing, and doing everything that was commanded. Today we're going to look at Paul and Timothy who give us this close-up look at what it takes, how to approach these habits. And friends, even us today, many of us have experienced these habits already and through the work of the Holy Spirit can testify to how they have transformed us. So I hope that you will approach these keystone habits with a hunger and the thirst with open ears and eyes ready to see with a heart and spirit that is teachable and hands ready to respond and get to work. I'm serious about that packing food. That's 135,000 meals. We're going to do it. It's going to be fantastic. That's next Sunday. Make sure you're there. Now, to set the stage for these keystone habits, we're going to be looking out of the passage from 1 Timothy today. And because I like to, we're going to go through this verse by verse, even though the habits aren't necessarily directly mentioned in this section of Scripture. Now, what's mentioned here is the training, is the pursuit for godliness, the laboring and striving of following the living God. So let's pull out our Bibles. We're going to open them up to 1 Timothy chapter 4, and we're going to get ready to mark them up. Now, you can, of course, use your bulletin if you forgot to bring your Bible today, and I'll also have the verses behind me on the screen to help guide us. Now, we know as followers of Christ that when we gather for worship or work, God is present. God is in charge. That's not a saying. We're not saying he's here in some theoretical way, but in a very practical and real way, God is present and in charge. Our God creates. He guides. 
He saves, he heals, he corrects, he blesses, he calls, he judges. Christ Jesus has all authority in heaven and in earth, in our lives and in all lives. There's a reason Pastor Mike used to always show us that Jesus is not standing on the earth there. He's standing on the universe. So why study these habits if God is in control? Are we trying to be better so that we need God less? Absolutely not. Thank you. Then no, right there. I like that. Yeah. The place of human leadership, the purpose of instilling these habits is because we know when it comes to God, we are always in second place. We're not elbowing our way to the front. We're not full of pride. We're not making sure we get the very best seat at the table. But through these habits, these habits that we are going to learn, habits that are modeled for us to participate in, we're going to learn and experience the hardest of all lessons. That it's not about me. We will pursue and train in godliness, not in self. First Timothy was written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy, who was learning to lead a church. And through the letter, Paul guides Timothy on this life. And the text that we're looking at is all about that life of training. Godliness, coming from that old English for God-likeness. Not becoming a God, but being like God. Knowing and confessing that he is God, training our minds to desire his ways above our own, and training our hands to do his work. And I love how in both his letters to Timothy, Paul, through his teachings and his life, showed how to follow Jesus. And I hope one day that'll be said about you as well. That your children or those who are left after you will stand up and say, Grandpa taught me about Jesus with his words and his life. Let's dive into our text. Here's chapter 4, verse 1. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, abandon the faith, follow deceiving spirits, things taught by demons. Paul points out how the Spirit specifically points out three things here. Now, where he's exactly quoting this, he doesn't say, nor do I think he has to, because we have seen these three things from the beginning. With King Saul, who departed the faith and sought out that medium from, from Christ, who was tempted by Satan in his ways to turn away from God. He was told half-truths by Satan, was promised all wealth and glory in exchange for his soul and said no. Paul, who had seen this from the very people that he had been raising up in the faith and were corrupted, to even today we could look around and see it. He knew certain dangers would mark the times. And again, I'm going to list them right for you here, right? The danger of apostasy, the danger of deception, false teaching. Now, departing from the faith here doesn't mean losing the ability to believe. It means losing the content of what we as Christians are to believe. It's not an accident that we're confessing the Nicene Creed, which I'm, Pastor Elliot, correct me if I'm wrong, that's the second round, right? Yeah, 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 of keeping it going and making sure we know exactly what it is that we believe. It describes the essential teachings of the Christian faith. When some depart from the faith, they're abandoning the essential teachings of Christianity. Following deceiving spirits, that's referring to actual demonic spirits. Angelic beings who have rebelled against God, who seek to deceive us and entice us away from the truth. Friends, these lies are so powerful and they have this dynamic energy behind them. These are lies crafted and promoted by these spirits. I think about addiction, right? It's just one more. Or the feeling that I have to have this, I need this. The defeated feeling of I'll never be able to beat this. 
that voice in the back of your head saying, you're not good enough, you're not strong enough, you aren't loved. The voice that says, why go to church? You can find God anywhere. You don't need all that religion. You just need you and Jesus. Lies. Deception. The false teaching, the doctrine of demons. This is the specific teachings that we see. Ways of life that promise one thing but always end up only delivering death. Starting in Genesis 3 with that little garden snake. You will not surely die for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Every demonic doctrine has found its way, I think, to that root right there. The idea that we can be gods. The idea that we can operate independently from needing gods. Friends, it has been over 1,900 years since the Apostle Paul wrote this to Timothy. But he did not misunderstand his time nor our own. History is not and has not been rushing toward a brink of collapse that would end this current order. Even in apostolic times, history, we'd already reached it. The end times, it turns out, were in a specific few years. It's been a broad era. We are in an era of chaos and sin. We are there. But we stand, waiting. Lamps filled with oil, patient and steadfast for not some gigantic collapse, but rather for the return of the Messiah. And so we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. He expands on this saying such teachings come through hypocritical liars, consciences that have been seared, forbidding people to marry and eating foods. That hypocritical liars are describing once again those departed from the faith. A willingness that has come to embrace falsehood. Wanting to justify our pride. Comes from those who claim to teach the Bible but are just using it to support their own ideas or agendas. often abused, making us, the church, look so bad when we pull out one piece of Scripture to say what we want, not what it says. That's why we're going to get into that habit of being in the Word, getting the full breath of God, not just the verse of the day. Conscience seared. In the ancient practice, they would brand a criminal on their forehead, or in for thus of the new age, Batman would brand you if you were a, you guys know I'm talking about Batman versus Superman, that one? Justice of the bat. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, of course. But this isn't the forehead that's branded. It's the heart. Their conscience, which at one time would have convicted them of their departure from the truth, doesn't say anything now. Doesn't reply at all. As if those nerve endings have become burnt over. This is the one that scares me the most. That heart hardened. How I felt guilty about sin at first. But now, numbness. How do you know when that happens, when you have been seared from some sort of sin? When you've gotten so comfortable that you've just become numb to its effects? Even the Apostle Paul struggled with this, right? But thankfully, on the road to Damascus, it changed. He was justified in his persecution of Christians, his hatred of Jesus. He felt justified. He needed that wake-up call. The 
The rest of the forbidding to marry the foods, that's, that's basically legalistic teaching of those who have departed. Which is a nice reminder, though, as we look at this, that it is actually okay not to marry. And it is okay to abstain from foods. But as you read this, remember two things. First, at the time of Paul's writing, people were demanding that they not do that and commending and come uh, and command I'm sorry they were demanding them not to and then condemning them to hell if they did that's not right secondly if you think that by abstaining from marriage or from food that now God owes you something that is legalism at its worst manipulating God into giving you something goes back to that whole idea that we are in control that we are the God as if we could manipulate God from what we are doing he continues and said for everything created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving concludes his thought saying we're not limited to a diet whatever we eat doesn't make us more righteous before God though it does make us a little bit better in our wife's eyes I'm trying honey I'm a six pack I'm gonna do 100 crunches today maybe 50. This issue was settled, right, when God came to Peter. I think I've talked enough about this. But I love this little part about receiving things with thanksgiving, with an abiding sense of gratitude that Paul sneaks in here that we need to have towards God. Friends, we receive the blessings of food and shelter and comfort. Those are gifts from God. They're not things that God owes us. So let us be thankful and then let us in response to that do all that we can to share those gifts and make sure that everyone can have the basic needs of life met. And we do that by consecrating it with the word of God and prayer. Word being found in scripture like it was in Acts, right? When God said all food was okay. And then prayer. I love the connection there, right? A reminder to be praying before meals. Notice that he doesn't say that God blesses the food, because we know what it does down here, but we do give thanks for the food. Mm. Verse 6. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you'll be a good minister. Remember, Paul's writing to Timothy, who's going to lead churches, but this, is, I think, is the same for us. We all fulfill the calling we've been given whether that's to a congregation, to our family, to those at work, our neighbors. When we share Christ with our words, service, and resources, we're doing it. For Jesus instructed his disciples how? He did with his presence first, right? With his life. With the things that he did as well as what he told them. Nourished on the truths of the faith. Anchored in God's word. That's good. All right, seven and eight. Here we go. Our main focus for today. Have nothing to do with godless myths, old wives' tales. Train yourself to be godly. Notice that part about the end here. Promise for the present life and the life to come. It's good for now and for when we'll get to heaven when it comes to training towards godliness. So I got two questions that we want to look at, right? How are we going to go about this spiritual training and what is godliness? Sound good? Let's start with godliness. Godliness is quite simply, I think, genuine Christianity. It's a real, vibrant, practical relationship with Jesus. It's making him the treasure of your life. And it's living out in that reverence and fear before him. Submitting yourself and trusting to his power and authority. 
Godliness is going to start with that knowledge of who God is, what he has done for you in Christ Jesus. And out of that knowledge will come your response, your love toward God. Because friends, how can you say that you love God if you don't know God? This is why knowledge of God through his word is so important. Why being in community with other believers and gathering around the word is so important. Why seeking God out in solitude is important. Why coming to worship is important and leads to godliness. Because out of this love for God, we then do those things that bring praise and glory and honor to God. Did you catch that last pit bit in your confession today? Walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. I love that the confession drives us back to God. It starts here. These habits are going to start here in your mind and in your heart as your thoughts rise to God. As God becomes the object of your worship, the, the focus of your life. 2 Corinthians says, We all with an unveiled faith, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same engine from one degree of glory to another. From this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit, gradually more and more growing in godliness. And when we know that and trust that, we respond with this training, with this whole idea of getting after it. And friends, this is the difficult part. We're good at understanding intellectually. It's hard to start the habits. First and foremost, we have to begin by having that strict and impartial look right at our own heart. If I challenged you today and asked you to write down in your bulletin what is most likely preventing you from advancing in godliness, what would you write down? What is most preventing you from godliness? You look carefully at your own habits, at what you do in secret when no one's watching. Does that reflect the life that you've been called to live? Are there habits that need to be broken first? Are there people or activities, companions, conversations, things at work that are preventing you from advancing to godliness? Are you feeding your soul with the right food? There's this story about a really smart guy, and he had a horse. And I think, uh, I'm trying to remember how the story goes. The guy's got this horse, right? And it's wasting away, and so he finds his friend, and he's like, I have tried everything, man. I've tried elixirs, balms, essential oils from my mom. I've combed its hair. I've sang songs to this horse. I've tried so much. Nothing is working. His friend comes up, pokes the horse right in the ribs, sees how hollow they are, and says... This horse only needs one thing, man. Food. Simple, basic, everyday food. Keystone habits that are not spicy, but are basic for our lives. Are you feeding yourself the right food, or is your soul starved? Starved as we try to overcomplicate and seek out the exotic. Let's start feeding our starved souls with prayer. Prayer at the start, not the last resort. More time, more closeness with God. More meditation on the word of God. What if we swapped out the vertical rectangle of an altar this week and examined ourselves? Come to this table to be fed. 
What if when you find yourself waiting in line this week or sitting at the doctor's or waiting for a meeting to start, instead of picking out the phone to scroll, you said a prayer instead? Over the next six weeks, we're going to bring these habits into our lives because this is a lifetime process. Helping us in our spiritual training as you and I pursue God's will for our lives. A daily practice. I think Paul looks around and says, Timothy, you see these athletes, man, and us too, how they discipline themselves for this physical exercise. Do the same for following God. When we form new habits and conform to the will of God, those sinful habits and patterns begin to change. So let's start small and often, small and often, training ourselves in godliness for that's of value in every way. Verse 9, I love this. I made this a verse on its own uh, just for the slide here. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. I don't have anything really specific to say about it, but it's just like, you know, it's that Nick Nolte, Star Wars creature, I have spoken. I think it's great. It's like the boom, mic drop, roasted kind of thing. So here's what I want you to do. Bonus points. <laughs> this is, I don't believe I'm saying this, but I'm doing it. Bonus points. If you can work that line or some form of it in an email this week, you get bonus points. Now you get super bonus points if you will blind CC me in the email. Even though I have nothing to do with your work, I just want to see how you've used it in your daily life. I think it would be great. Uh, this meeting will meet at 11. This is a trustworthy serving. It deserves full acceptance. Anyways, but you can't use that. That's my example. Verse 10, that's why we labor and strive. Real quickly, if you get to the end there, you might freak out and be like, Savior of all people? Hold on, that's universalism, pastor. Stop right there. No, no. Jesus is the Savior for all people. It's not like Christians have one Savior and everyone else has some other Savior. But notice the point, especially of those who believe. Jesus' work is able to save all. But only through faith, by grace, called by the Holy Spirit, can we be saved. And then we finally got the why. I love the why. That is why. The why we would train. The why we need these habits. Because we put our hope in the living God, right? The one that David challenged Goliath with when he said, I fight for the living God who stands with me. Our hope is in the living God who empowers us to accomplish great things. For our God is an active God, a working personal God, warm, loving, who comes to us, right? In the midst of a time of sin and chaos, stands with us and does not leave us, but is with us to the very end of the age. Never forget, as we start to do these habits, never forget that your God goes before you and behind you and with you, supporting you and even prepares the work for you to do ahead of time. Gives you the gifts, the community, the energy that is needed to follow him. So we're going to get after it. We're going to study these and develop these keystone habits. Remembering that we're not doing this to earn our salvation or get God to love us more. But we do because that is what disciples do. So friends, I pray that this study, this sermon series, that the, that the God of all hope would open your minds and hearts and your hands so that you can put into practice these habits of community, scripture, prayer, solitude, and worship.